Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. I have another really fantastic guest lined up for you today. Her name is Patty Beach, and she is the CEO of Leadership Smarts, that is a firm that combines leadership best practices and coaching to help managers and executives really build a better world in a far better way. So we go beyond our own teams and the organization here today in our conversation. And as always, it's really important for me that you not just learn about leadership itself and self-leadership, but also about the person that shares their story. And therefore, we are going to start to talk about Patty herself and what got her to the point where she wrote a book that's called The Art of Alignment and where she decided to do the work that she is currently doing. And she has a fascinating background, being truly inspired by her dad, despite growing up in a very female family, but working for 15 years as a geologist in a male-dominated world in the gas industry. And she can talk a lot and share a lot with us about the contrast between masculine and the feminine world and masculine and feminine leadership, both very much needed. But how can you find the optimal plan for you? So this is something we're definitely going to touch upon. But also in her book, she created some curiosity for me by mentioning the so-called Shuva environment, how you can be seen, truly heard, understood, valued, and appreciated. And how can you as a leader give this feeling the sensation to the people around you so that they are truly committed to you, to the overall vision, the goals, the organization, and to making the world really a better place, as mentioned in the beginning. So how do you get teams, the organizations, people in general around you fully aligned? What does it truly take, right? And we are also going to talk about that it can be a challenge to build this alignment. It's always a great idea to include a lot of stakeholders in decision makings to get their ideas and suggestions on the table. But man, it can be so frustrating, in particular when we have so much to do and it's also about, okay, how can we save time and make processes more effective? So she shares a bit of advice with us in terms of how you can feel less as uh, you would be herding cats, basically, and getting nowhere. And how can you really get this feeling of, oh, my God, that truly makes an impact and has a positive influence on the people around me. So these are just a few of the topics we are going to chat about, learn more about in a moment. So enjoy the episode. So hello, hello, and a big welcome to Patty Beach. Hello, Patty. Hi, Kathleen. It's amazing to talk to you. We have been speaking for the first time a few weeks back, right? Already. Yeah, I'm at the little over a month, I think. Yeah. And we clicked right away. It was one of those conversations where I felt, oh my God, I could talk with you forever about all sorts of topics around leadership and women in leadership in particular and how we can support women in male-dominated environments and so on and so forth. There were so yeah, many, absolutely. many topics. Yeah, <laughs> we were yeah. both curious about it. I too was like, once you, you know, you hung up, I was like, I was sad. I felt like I lost my friend. I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to her again later. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Tell our audience just a little bit more about what you do in your day-to-day -day business and how you help the people around you. So I do coaching and my specialty is leadership development. I'm also an organizational development consultant. And so basically when you blend all of those disciplines, understanding leadership and how, how leaders operate in organizations using organizational development and coaching, you have this uh, sense of working with a leader on themselves as a lot of coaches do, but also understanding that how they operate in their system. Mm -hmm. You know, the leader connected to all of the different cogs in the business or the nonprofit organization or the hospital where they work, you know, because we are, you mentioned, you know, self-leadership. I mean, self-leadership can only take you so far. In the end, leadership is about connecting with other people and getting them inspired to take action behind an idea. 
And you can never do that alone. So you have to work with other people in order to do that, to really find, you know, your true calling to help put into um, insights into action so that they can make a difference. So that's my specialty. Yeah. And that is the specialty we do have in common. However, we come from different backgrounds. We have different perspectives and approaches probably as well, which is wonderful. And what amazed me about you is that you have a strong background in oil and gas. You spent more than 15 years in that industry, haven't you? That's right. I started off as a geoscientist. So, you know, as an earth scientist. Yeah. And I love that job. I mean, I loved working with understanding the earth and looking at how we could use our understanding of that to find the resources. Oil and gas is a very exciting profession. I got to travel the world. I worked in Mexico for a while. And it's just really interesting. It's sort of like, you know, you would all just imagine what it takes to create a rocket and fly to the moon or go to Mars like they're, they, they're doing now. In a way, the things we're doing in oil and gas are equally impressive. Being able to drill in the, the deepest water well ever drilled, for example, I was a part of that project or new technologies that helped us to develop these resources. Yeah. Now, all along, I was a tree hugger. So it was a little bit of an awkward fit you know, in oil and gas. You know, I live in Boulder, Colorado now. So it almost feels like a former life or something. But I just really felt that I had grown up in the oil patch because that's where what my dad did. He was a petroleum engineer mm -hmm. and I wanted a life like him, you know, where I could travel the world and, and be connected to what I understood about math and science, et cetera. And so it was a wonderful career. And meanwhile, I felt kind of conflicted about it, you know, because I knew that I knew about climate change. I knew about climate change before it was even a popular thing because mm -hmm. as earth scientists, we were very in tune with what was happening with cores that were going through glaciers, et cetera, and all the different layers and how the climate was changing. And, you know, so I was in touch with the science a very long time ago, over 35 years ago, pretty yeah. much. So it's, it was an interesting experience. I'm really grateful that I had that experience because it really put me in a man's world You know, I um, had grown up in a family of six girls. I have five sisters and there was myself. So there was the six of us and my mom and my dad was off in the oil field all the time. So I really grew up in a, a soup of a lot of women and feminine energy. Yeah. And I didn't really know what that was, but I had a little bit of a tomboy kind of aspect. So um, also, I think to get my father's attention because he was a, an engineer and he liked to look at rocks and stuff like that. I kind of tomboyed up to get his attention. And I ended up going into that field following in his footsteps. And the contrast between that feminine environment and the masculine environment of geology, it was like Patty and 40 guys out in the field, you know, it was just really stark. <laughs> But I feel like that path for whatever reason, you know, you go back to like, did God put me on that path? I mean, how did yeah. this happen? That that contrast just really stuck with me. And it's become a huge part of What I feel like my leadership offers the world is mm. to help us to move out of a patriarchal frame of, mm. of leadership, you know, because a lot of the leadership that we know now came up through male dominated businesses and the army and things like that, where, you know, there were a lot of men involved. And I feel like they, they tend to um, use the instincts that men needed to survive to thrive in leadership. They're like the rules of how you operate, you know, this survival instinct that men needed to do hunting mm. and to, to do the things that we had to do in our evolutionary pathway. But a lot of the more feminine things that women were doing to survive were, were not a part of leadership. Yeah. And they've gradually come in, you know, as more women have come into the workforce, as more women have had freedom, because they don't have to have as many children now because they have birth control you know, we've entered into that masculine environment and we have changed it mm. to a large degree. I feel like what we see now in the work environment is that both men and women have more freedom to use their masculine in, uh, survival instinct and their feminine survival instinct in leadership to be better leaders yeah. and create healthy deliberation on topics that matter so we can make decisions and do things together. Uh, meanwhile, tapping into our individual motivations, you know, that's one of the things about masculine strengths is that it's all about getting stuff done and having ideas and making forward motion, whereas in the, the more feminine archetypal strengths that, that men and women have, it's more about taking care of the whole, distributing power down through the organization and making sure that we all thrive. So basically, that's what my life work has been is really trying to move us from what I call the patriarchy and 
uh, what we all, many people call the patriarchy, I guess everybody calls the patriarchy, yeah. into the, not the matriarchy, but into what I call the versaarchy, which is the versatile world. And the word versa means to turn from the masculine strengths to the feminine strengths. Mm-hmm. And so in the versaarchy, leaders are, are aware, oh, now's the time for the masculine strength. Now I push. Now I have logic. Now I have order. Now I have structure. Now the feminine strengths. Now it's more organic. It's more relaxed. It's more natural, more authentic, more accepting of people's humanity. And we go back and forth. And that creates the strength that I think in leadership that we need now, something more balanced out. And one of the big topics that I keep discussing with one of my business partners is how can we find more alignment between those two energies? So I'm, I'm my work very specialized in um, female leaders and supporting them through coaching, through facilitation of workshops and really supporting them in an individual customized way, also through consulting. However, one of the key goals is not about women against men and men against women. It's about how can we bring those energies those strengths together and build a, a super powerhouse <laughs> almost, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's such Absolutely. an important and relevant topic at the moment. And I want to go very, very deep with you into that topic because you highlight that in your book as well, The Art of Alignment. You speak a lot about the versatility, for example. Before we do that, I want to go back to your past experience for one more mm-hmm. moment. You worked in a more male-dominated industry, You were one of the girls out of six. So what have you learned throughout all of your past experiences at work, as well as in your personal life about leadership, about how you can bring bring in your female energy as well? Well, I really feel, first of all, I just want to verify that kind of the way I look at it is that all men and women have masculine and feminine energy, that this is a equal and opposite complementary energy styles Mm -hmm. that work best when in balance. That is my point of view. Yeah. And I believe that um, what happened and when we reached the maximum level of the industrial military complex of, you know, where we had industrialization, et cetera, was that you had the male world separated from the female world because the men went to work and the women stayed home. Mm-hmm. Now that shifted when women were able to control the number of children they had through birth control, men and women were able to control it. Yeah. So then we had the opportunity for women to go into work and also the opportunity for men to come more at home, you know, because they didn't have to provide for so many children. So I really feel that, you know, it's not, the most instinct is to go and compete to get power. Uh, It's the feminine instinct to distribute those resources so all can survive. You know, so the so the distribution, the accumulation of power is more masculine, the distribution of power is more feminine. And what we need is a balance. So we need to be able to lean into our power and our strength and focus and make things happen. Meanwhile, we need to then, you know, allow for more people to come into that equation in leadership. So in my my book, The Art of Alignment. I've kind of codified these four steps and what I call five C's, a process for leaders to bring an idea to the table, which is the masculine instinct. I want my idea, something that I created, my vision to be realized. That is very natural in all leaders, whether they're male or female, to have some sense of of ownership, excitement about your ideas and the ability to visualize them in our in our minds. This is really what distinguishes humans from all other animals is that we can visualize Fiction, things that have never existed, right? And this is what leaders do. They visualize a new future that's different from the past. But then to bring in the feminine energy so that I can take my idea and shift it from my idea that I own to our idea. How can we make this happen? And this is what great leaders do is they, they bring in people into that equation And they tap into their collective intelligence and they empower them so that it's not just that one leader. Otherwise, that leader has to carry everything on their own. That's not really leadership. That's just a really strong individual contributor. What we want with a leader is someone who can allow for more and more people to become powerful with the same, that have the same collective dream that they're trying to realize together. So bringing the feminine ability to facilitate, to listen, to allow to have faith in the group, you know, to distribute power is that feminine instinct. Mm. And so what I want in leadership is there's that balance. 
And the alignment process that I've created codifies that. There's four steps. There's two more masculine steps, two more feminine steps. There's the five C's. They bring in the masculine feminine. So even if you don't understand theory around versatility or union psychology or yin yang, or however you want to look at it, you can, if you follow this process, you sort of naturally fall into the balance that it takes, I think, especially these days where, you know, even if I'm the CEO, I'm not the king or queen of everything. I still have my board to, you know, I have to work with or the vendors or the employees that I'm trying to attract, you know, and so I have to lean more into this ability to let go of my ego and yeah. allow more people come in into that equation. That's that's a point I actually wrote down in preparation for this conversation today. How can ego get in the way of inclusive leadership? And, and I know it's kind of a bit of a sarcastic question in itself, but I'm interested in your view and your experience I mean, as well. It's, it's kind of a paradox because we need to have enough ego to believe in our ideas and to bring them to the table and to have courage to say, Hey, what do you think? You know? So on some level, some ego is good for leadership and for ideas to take hold. Uh, but then after we put them out there, we need to kind of relax around them, you know, so that we allow for people to come in and, and add to ideas. You know, what we have traditionally had is what I would call debate. Debate means there's my idea, there's your idea, there's a good idea, there's a bad idea, the pros yeah. and the cons, et cetera. Instead of debating on, about ideas, we need to build on ideas. That means that we take the seeds of a good idea from a subject matter expert or somebody who's researched it or somebody who's really put the energy and the labor into making something worth building upon. And then we come and build upon it. Now, Once we start building upon it, that leader that started that seed needs to back off and allow for other people to add to it. So their ego has to not try to sell and tell people and convince them their idea is right, but instead invite them with curiosity, with uh, valuing what these people have to offer, knowing that they don't know everything. So yeah. if I bring these people in and allow them to inform my judgment and help us build a better idea that collectively the outcome will be better. And people will feel more ownership of that idea. Mm. They're not just moving my idea forward. They're moving our idea forward. So yeah. there's that relaxing, but it's really hard for some people to let go. You know, they really, really want it to be their own invention. And uh, so they do all of these sometimes conscious and unconscious tricks, right? To get people to buy their idea, you know, get buy-in or enroll people, It still has that top-down patriarchal feeling to it, you know. It so, yeah. yeah. Conversely, I'm I'm also not a fan of the just take a bunch of stickies and get everybody in a room and come up with ideas. I mean, I like doing that in some cases, but in a lot of cases, what happens is you get all of this ideas and they kind of glom on each other and they add and they affinitize. But then when they're done, they're not always that realistic to do. And then who holds it after it's done? You can voluntold someone to take it or someone might feel lucky to take that idea and put legs underneath it. But oftentimes it just doesn't have the same quality as somebody who started an idea, bringing people in, building upon it and then still carrying it forward. So I don't know how, how to phrase it, but basically what are the rules of engagement around an alignment meeting so that we don't move into this very open brainstorming meeting and then there's no real ownership and we are not really getting anywhere but also yeah. there is not this behavior of ego and i'm just telling you what to do so to find this lovely middle ground basically yeah there are some find it foundational beliefs that you have to have so one belief is that every voice matters so when you bring people in the room you want to value every single person in the room yeah and you want to give them room to to be a part of the equation so as a facilitator, as a leader, when I bring an idea forward, I always want to do my very best to have equal participation of all of the people in the meeting. I actually have a principle in my book that I wrote about. It's called the Shuva Principle. Mm -hmm. So that is to see, hear, understand, value, and appreciate every person in the room. Mm -hmm. So when you have a room And um, you've set up the Shuva principle, like that's what we're all here to do. That means every single person is going to Shuva every single other person. Mm -hmm. um, then we allow 
the right people to be in the room. We look around and we see, oh, who's here? You know, are the right people here? Have we got enough people from our system in order to have voices that will reflect different representative stakeholders that are part of this equation? Mm. Do we hear them? Do we allow for every single voice to be heard? So sometimes you have a big meeting with a lot of people and it's hard to hear from everybody. So I like to do things like have people write things down and put them on note cards and stack them or put them in chat. Or there's a lot of technologies you can use to make sure that every single person gets their voice out. Mm-hmm. Now, then you have understood, you know, to what degree do we slow down enough to make sure we really got each other's contribution and valued. Valued is really key. Valued means I suspend my own judgment of what I think is the right solution long enough to listen to what you have to say, to, to let it inform my judgment. It doesn't mean that every single time I have to agree with you or I have to move over my point, but at least I gave your, your voice a shot. And then the last point is appreciated. And so if we have a Shuva environment, then we tend to see alignment happening more naturally. Now, for people, when you get into a larger and larger group, it helps to have a more codified process that will allow for, for every voice to be heard. And so that's why I put in the four steps in the 5C process as a methodology that when everyone in the room follows that methodology, then it sort of naturally falls into place. You know, you get an idea out on the table, you get lots of feedback, that feedback comes out at, at you in a constructive way that's got a blend of masculine and feminine strengths. So when I say constructive, one of the, the masculine way of doing it is we'll give you critical feedback, but in a more feminine way, we'll give you complimentary feedback and we'll make sure we understand and we'll integrate that idea together, et cetera. So the three principles that I have of alignment, the four steps and the five C's kind of all work together to create the right environment for every voice to be heard and for those voices to move from divergent thinking to convergent thinking where they build on an idea. It doesn't mean that every single voice that gets heard ends up in the final solution. What I like to say is everybody gets a voice, but not everybody gets a vote. Some cases it's good to reserve your votes to a few people who have the most at stake in that equation or can see a larger part of the system. But in the end, if I allow for those voices to be heard, then ultimately I think the solution will generally be better than if we had people sitting on the sidelines, not sharing their point of view. What you've just described and you've outlined it so nicely in your book as well, is something that I resonate with highly. And I can see the value of running meetings and conversations as you've described it, that follow those principles. I wonder, I put myself into um, a team's shoes right now. And I see a team that might not have ever done it and tried it in in even a a way that gets close, even close to what you've just described. I picture a team that has been glorifying busyness, that um, feel like they have a lot going on, they need to deliver a lot and they don't know how to keep up with everything, where there might be unrealistic timelines as well. A mm-hmm. team that is not connecting very regularly and meaningfully, in particular in times of a pandemic, when um, some of the teams might not even see each other. And um, I do wonder how you set this team up for success, i.e. how you establish the principles, how you establish the five C's, um, how you make sure that there is a common understanding for how we are going to go about sharing ideas meetings in general. And and from my perspective, it feels like something needs to happen before that. Yeah, you know, I first of all, I just want to say that this, this team you describe is like almost every team, you know, every team has more to do than time allows. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like, <laughs> and business, you've got money, you know, right, you're spending money and time is money and all that's really yeah. true, you know, actually it's super true. So I think that most most organizations and most groups, unless they have someone that's paying attention to the process, right? Then, then they will run into some bad habits. Like, you know, one bad habit is trying to, to do more than time allows, mm-hmm. you know, what I call it the unfunded mandate in my book. It's where you've said, oh, let's do this thing. And there's just not enough time, money, or energy to do it. And then you're like constantly in a hole trying to figure out what's going on. It's like, yeah. well, in the first place, we, we should have just scoped that down to something, you know, that is ambitious yet realistic. 
And that is why, you know, it takes multiple people in a conversation to do that because I may, especially these days in business, I may know all about marketing, for example, but I don't know very much about how to use the software to do the marketing, for example. So there's all of these cross-organizational disciplines which require that we listen to each other long enough to get why this takes as long as it takes to do what we need to do in order to do it right. So it requires a leader that can separate the content from the process and that is looking at how to set up that team for success. That leader, you know, if they had my three principles, four steps and five C's, they could get everybody in the group to read a book or to attend a workshop that we might conduct. For example, have these alignment learning labs where people can learn the principles and processes of alignment. Um, But basically they would instill in them a practice of this is how we meet. When we get together, we meet for so long. We start off with like a check-in so that we're connected to each other. And then we enter into context for what we're trying to do. So everybody's starting on the same page. Then we move into the, the four steps and the five C's, or maybe we have a reminder of a principle like Shuba principle. But it helps if you understand where you're going, if you have a roadmap in your mind. This is why I wrote my book the way I did. I wrote it in a way that could be held in your mind that you never have to pick up the book after you read it. You could have those four steps, propose, probe, repropose, close. It's like a haiku. And you know, okay, we're on propose step. Now we're on probe step. Now we're taking everything that we gathered in probe step and we're making a reproposal. And now we're closing. If I can follow that roadmap in my mind as the leader or the facilitator, then I can support the group in having the right dialogue. Same thing with the five C's. You know, the five C's is a way of gathering feedback. There's clarifications, then compliments, then concerns, then changes, then commitment. So if I have a very important conversation that we need to have to make a big capital investment or to do something, some high stakes, high visible thing, then it's worth gathering all that information. And that order really matters. So learning the order that you ask people questions makes a huge difference. And over time, what I find is that when groups use the five C's, they don't want to go back to the old way. Mm. They don't want to go back to the cat herding, go rodeo meeting where ideas get lost and nobody knows what was decided and they walk out and nothing's decided. They want to be in a meeting where they can build on an idea and make a decision in a timely manner. So satisfying. So once you build the discipline, it becomes a part of the group's DNA. You know, they get used to it. They start to understand the value of of these processes. So that's what I would say. So so yes, it it takes time to train up your team to get them on the same page and to build that common language. But once they get the language, and because the language is super easy to remember, it becomes a part of how they work. It actually reminds me of a situation a few years back when I was working in corporate, not with corporate. We had an external coach supporting us and it was at this time, the principles based on Nancy Klein's time to think and how to build a meeting environment where people are feeling heard, where you truly listen, where you give yourself time to think. And it was exactly what you described. You may want to share a book or documents beforehand so that you can start doing your own learning and research and diving into the topic, but then be very transparent about, I want to try, or we would like to try something, experiment with it as well, see how it goes, see how people respond and give them the time to warm up because some people will take a bit more time. Some people are on board right away and it's, it's right up their street as I always say. Yeah. When I teach alignment, what I like to do with the clients is just give me a day and give me about three or four things you need to line around that you've been stuck right? So I first teach them the alignment. It takes about 20 minutes for me to teach them, or maybe 40 minutes for me to teach them in three principles, four steps, and five C's. Yeah. Then we use it immediately to solve a problem and I facilitate. Then we use it to to solve another problem and I get someone else to facilitate, someone Mm -hmm. else to scribe, and someone else to propose. And then we do it again. By the third time, they got it. Then they don't need me anymore. In fact, I've been hired to do really complicated facilitations. And after about a day or two, they're like, why is she here? (laughs) we're we're doing it. So, you know, it's really kind of cool when you can teach it. It seems like it takes a long time. You know, you've spent whatever half a day to learn it, but then you have more productive meetings, you know, time and time again. It's so worth it. Yeah. Oh gosh. Really worth it. 
Absolutely. I keep saying that to some of the leaders I'm working with, wonderful human beings, right? And um, we speak a lot about um, creating this very open speak up environment where people um, are not fearful about sharing. And some of the leaders are so open and honest. And they say, I really struggle to create an inclusive leadership environment where people contribute because I think I'm the expert. I think I know it all and I need to accelerate the process. And um, what I often say is the time you invest right at the start to build this inclusive environment, the more time will probably be saved at the end because, or in the mid and long run, because there's more productivity, more empowerment, everything that you've just mentioned. People are more on board. They are more motivated. They will actually learn along the way quite a bit. More ideas are being shared. New solutions are being brought to the table. They're also a lot more likely to carry out what was decided. So what happens is a lot of times, well, they decide something in a small group. They go, okay, let's get three or four people together because we don't want too many people this decision loop. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they make the decision and then they hand down the decision. They send it by email or they do something. And then they're like alarmed when there's no compliance around what was decided. It's like, well, people don't understand why you decided that. They're just... They're marching along, doing the thing they don't really believe in that comes out of nowhere. So if you can get them involved in the decision-making process, even if they're just witnessing it, sometimes I have that where I have like a group of five leaders, they're the one making the decision. They might have 25 people that are field team that works out in the field that has to do what this five leaders decided. And they argue about it using the, they argue, they build on the idea using the alignment process, debate, deliberate, et cetera until they come up with a decision and they allow for these field techs to listen in so that they're just hearing what was decided. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, a field tech might ask a question or or interject something, but they're not really a part of the dialogue. And you may think, well, that's a lot of people to be sitting there. Well, let me tell you, after that decision has been made, like this is the work plan for those field techs, they will carry it out to a T because they understand why they have to do it the way that's been decided. They've not just been given the operations manual, they really get what what are the implications of doing it correctly and what are the implications of doing it the wrong way. Yeah. Um, whereas before they were like, why do we have to cross the field 15 times in 10 directions? That doesn't you know even make sense. When it makes sense to them because they've understood exactly why that decision was made, they're a thousand times more likely to do it correctly. And they're also a thousand times more likely that if something happens that wasn't unanticipated to, to figure out what to do right. So it saves so much time in the long run. It really does. Especially if it's something you have to do over and over again, or if it's something that you're spending a lot of money on, or you've brought new people into, you know, we always underestimate how how much time it takes for people to just get what it is that we're talking about, right? We think, oh, I thought about it. I see this with the, you know, startup founders, for example, that have coached before that they spent years thinking about something. Then they bring on a new group and they're like, well, I spent half a day explaining it to them and they didn't seem to get it. <laughs> it's like, well, it takes more than half a day. <laughs> you know. So <laughs> but do alignment. All... Let's go do alignment around what is your, you know, five-year, three-year, one-year plan, your 30, 60, 90-day plan, your, you know, let's get everybody involved. And you would be amazed at how much faster that accelerates. Yeah. It sounds to me like we would need some flexibility as well in those alignment meetings, in particular as leaders. Because, yes, I can have worked through ideas in my head for years. Mm-hmm. right? And now suddenly I meet a new group of talents that join the meetings um, and that have some amazing solutions they suggest or some incredible next steps and ideas. That requires, from my perspective, quite a bit of flexibility to say, okay, I'm stepping back now. I'm actually more than happy to move in that direction because it does make sense. It adds value, whatever value means. Well, what, one of the things that's kind of cool in my book, I have what I call 3D alignment, right? So you have top-down alignment. That's where yeah. I have an idea and I'm a senior person in power and I've got the money and the resources to make things happen. And I bring people down below me and make sure they understand what it is that I'm commissioning them to do, et cetera. And I can use the four steps and the five C's to do that. So they walk away being able to, really carry it out with conviction. So that's primarily how it's used, but it's equally useful in a bottom-up direction. Mm -hmm. So I'm a a director in an organization. I don't have a lot of power and resources, but I have an idea about how something should happen. 
So I can bring ideas up through the chain of command using alignment and get the sponsorship and get the commitment of the senior leader to back up my idea. Now it's still up to the senior leader. The senior leader has the ultimate vote on whether the idea is done or not done. But when we create, when we understand how the principles and practices of alignment can create empowerment at any level, it can create empowerment for ideas to come from the bottom up into the organization. And for that not to be chaotic, like we would think, oh, well, if ideas come from anybody, then they're all going to crash into each other. No, when we use alignment, we bring ideas in up through the chain of command. If you have that, I also have sideways alignment. So yeah. sideways alignment is where you don't have a chain of command. Like you and I are peers and we're trying to make something happen, like how co-founders in an organization or board members or a bunch of volunteers where you can't make me do it. I'm a volunteer, you know, <laughs> so I better really like this outcome. And so should you, as we're volunteers trying to make something happen. So there's what I call sideways alignment where you have equal power and alignment has some nuances to be done well from a top down. The senior leaders are relaxing their ego, um, noticing their psychological size, which can disempower people and really being attentive to how do they take their idea and engage it, engage the other folks in the organization. So they feel equally committed to it mm -hmm. in the end. But, you know, also empowering people, bring ideas up. It's one of the things that's exciting about alignment is there's a new, a lot of organizations that are innovating mid-level managers and even just anybody in the organization to have a council that can curate ideas and bring them up through the organizational structure. So this is really powerful, for example, in diversity and inclusion, where you have what's called employee resource groups. So that would be like a group of, you know, maybe African-American professionals in the organization or black professionals, whatever language, black and brown professionals. You know, how do you tap into that group so they can share their ideas and bring their ideas into the organization? Well, you can use alignment for that, for them to make proposals and to share those proposals and for other people to build on those proposals. So they're not just their proposals they have to carry, they're, they're carried throughout the organization. And I was gonna share while I'm on this topic, if you don't mind, something else that I'm super excited about. And so in addition to having this alignment process that I've created and tools and resources, um, I'm creating software. And the software would allow people to learn the four steps and the five C's and to put proposals into the software and gather feedback using this process. And what's exciting about it is when one leader gets on the software, they invite participants into that um, proposal and they can gather a feedback from the participants offline using the five C's, which generally is a lot easier to digest and use and repackage into a better proposal. So that's kind of exciting. But what's nice about it is that they can invite as many participants as they want, or they can even open it to anybody in the company. Oh, wow. So anybody could give feedback. That's up to them. When I invite participants, those participants would self-identify if they're women, if they're people of color, if they're what age they are, if they're from HR, if they're from IT, et cetera. And so what the software would then show you is the degree to which that company had included people of different demographics in decision-making. So they would have a way to track you know, we have all of this work that's being done to bring people of color and to um, help women and create the right work environment. But yeah. are we including them in decisions? Yeah. Are we making it psychologically safe for them to contribute what yeah. they have to say? So the software would allow you to more easily gather diverse opinions, but then want to attract whether those, how much diversity you had and make suggestions like, hey, your last five decisions didn't have a woman, perhaps you should invite a woman to the next alignment process, right? Or didn't have a person uh, over 50, for example. Yeah, proper eye opener here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we often And then afterwards, it. it would measure the degree to which those participants were satisfied and felt included in the process. So I'm super excited about that. That's going to be coming out in the fall, if not sooner. The big question that I keep asking myself is and I would love to have your your very personal insights and feedback here is how do you know that you are aligned to your purpose with your team to your vision what whatever it is for you that's a very good question 
I know when, a, when you do the alignment process, you know that the other people, we have one to five, and then you can see people's scores, et cetera. So you know whether that team's aligned or not, right? So that's kind of nice, right? But, you know, how do you know when you're personally aligned? And um, so in my alignment learning labs, I have three levels. So one level is called personal alignment. The next level is interpersonal alignment. And the third level is team alignment. And most of my book is about team alignment. How do I get a team to come to alignment around something? But I've added to it this background around personal alignment and personal team, because I feel like if I lack my own personal alignment, like if I don't believe in myself, who else is going to believe in me as I bring them together to solve a problem, right? So personal alignment is really important. And I think that I don't know that I have necessarily like an alignment test to say, you know, are you personally aligned? But in the end, it really comes down to, to what degree are you aligned such that when you intend to do something, you're likely to do it. You set your intention and you follow through until you complete that intention. Mm -hmm. That's when I think you see alignment. And what happens a lot of times for people is there's a misalignment between what I call their head, their heart, and their hands. Mm -hmm. uh, so what happens is, you know, you're, you may think you want to do something that your heart says no, or you may uh, feel like awkward, like your gut is telling you, Psh, I can't do that, which is different than the heart telling you what to or not to do. And so I think that one of the aspects of personal alignment that the alignment learning labs I'll be working with are going to emphasize is the degree to which you are paying attention to your thinking, your feeling, and your body intelligence around something that you want to do. So we have what we call our, um, our field of dreams. The field of dreams are things that you dream you want to do. Like I dreamed I wanted to write a book or mm -hmm. I dream I want to be a coach or I dream I want to create new software, for example. And then I look at, you know, how do I pay attention to how my heart feels about it? Yeah. And how do I pay attention to how my body feels about it? And when I get the highest degree of congruence between those things, then I take action. And so it's just looking at where am I aligned? Where am I misaligned? How do I feel about this? What is that? And listening to myself, because a lot of times your heart can tell you stuff like it's not time to do it now because there's something else more important to you or your gut may be telling you, wow, that's, you think you want to do all of those things, but that, that doesn't, in my body, it doesn't feel right. Can we pay attention, slow down enough to use all those sources of intelligence to align our, our thinking, feeling, and, and our deeds toward the things that matter most to us. Yeah. That is the, how do you know when you're there? I don't, I don't know. That, that's the big question. How do you know exactly? And I, I'll tell you, it's one of those things where it just clicks in and you start to see your feet under you moving in the right direction. You start to feel excited about it and it just feels right. And then I also feel like sometimes the more I get personally aligned, the more there's signs on the outside that things are mm. in the right place. Yeah. For example, I had this idea that I wanted to have coaches in my practice that had the Enneagram, which is, you know, like a, a behavioral, uh, you know, personality type profile, the leadership circle, which is a leadership profile and alignment. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for consultants that practiced all of those particular disciplines because I'm such a fan. Anyway, I had sent a, an email to a friend and said, Hey, do you, I have enough women that do this, but I would like some, a few men, because I believe, you know, men and women on team together, make a better team. And so they said, Oh, really? I don't know anybody who has those back, those pieces. Well, later that day that I must've sent this email at like 10 AM and by 12 noon, I had an email from somebody I hadn't talked to in 30, years that said that they looked on my website and they have a brother who does Enneagram and leadership circle coaching oh, and lives in Colorado. I was like, really? <laughs> that is just crazy. You know? like, and I called him. We had a wonderful chat. I mean, he's just incredible. So I just feel like there's this place where you, you know, you're listening to, to my heart mm. said, give him a call. Maybe this is it, you know? And so it's like the more that I feel like these things line up, the more things get seem to be put on my path that just make the next step easier. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it works the opposite way where you're like, oh, everything's not working, you know? I remember when I felt truly aligned, I felt at ease. I felt like, you know, I can just 
fly through the world. It's, uh, you, I can tackle anything. It doesn't mean that I feel arrogant about it or I think things just come easy to me. It's still, there are challenges, but I think there is an optimism. There is um, a sort of energy, a positive energy that you can tackle anything and it's exciting and it feels good. It sometimes even makes me feel a bit emotional, almost a bit touched. Oh my God, that is it. Mm-hmm. And what happens around me when that happens is I attract positivity, openness, fun, in particular in the people I surround myself with or I meet for the first time. People that share certain experiences, that open up opportunities, that have a can-do attitude, that are just fun to be surrounded by. All of these positive things are happening. And that might happen to our listeners from time to time as well, where I just wanted to give a tangible um, yeah, description of what it can be like. I love your description of that. And I think that's true for me too. You just, you start to feel this lightness. And I think it par- partially it's because you're not fighting with yourself anymore. Like you figured out something that's just working and you're moving in that direction. And yeah. it feels really great to be in that space. I also wanted to say that I really believe that the principles of alignment, you know, that I have in my book work for personal alignment. Like if you shuva yourself, do you really pay attention to yourself, believe in yourself, listen to yourself. And when you don't, when you put aside things and you put it for later and they kind of get stuck, then it starts to drag. It's like little pieces of yourself that are, you're dragging around, right? The more they bring it together and focus towards something that really matters to you, just the easier it gets. And a lot of it is just being a friend to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. When you explained Shuva to me for the first time, it was for me this universal tool that you can use with in your own relationship, as you just said, with yourself, in your personal relationships, in your professional relationships. It made me ask quite a few questions. How do I know I'm being heard? That my voice is being heard? That I'm being listened to? How do I know that I'm being understood or how do I need to make myself understood depending on the audience around me and, you know, and what's, what's, what's the point, the message I want to bring across. It's a fantastic coaching tool and self-coaching tool in itself that you have created there. So yeah, wonderful. And I found it very powerful already. I'm so glad to hear you're getting value out of it. And for me, it's really enlivened my life. I feel like I've become more in love with my spouse for, I shuva him more than I did before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were on a trip uh, this weekend or this week. I was telling you, we went to Mexico mm-hmm. and had an epiphany about something in his business. And he said, I need shuva right now because I've got this idea. And so we're using this as a way to just give each other quality attention so that if ideas emerge or there's something important to us, we're slowing down, paying attention to each other, mm-hmm. savoring that moment. And then I'm also using it right now as I'm eating my food. I find that I eat really fast because I'm always like in a big blurry life or whatever. And so I'm trying to shuva my food more like really, you know, as if it's listen, talking to me. I know that sounds a little silly, but, you know, just really giving it my quality attention. Yeah. And it, the food tastes better and I'm enjoying myself more. So you can shuva your day. I've also come to uh, understand that you can shuva up people. So shuva up people means that you, you send them this radiant quality of attention. And when you admire people, they just feel it. They, they show up more beautiful. They sing better. They speak better. It's really interesting mm-hmm. how just sending shuva toward everyone can make a huge difference. It's yeah. just a ginormous gift you give. And as a leader, your shuva is even like, Everybody wants shuva from their boss. Like, isn't that like the best shuva you can get? Absolutely. <laughs> Give me like some peers. Shuba. Like my peers shuva me. Like, a, yeah, I want to go to work there. You know, of course. <laughs> awesome. Like, I'm loving this. <laughs> I want a shuva bath. So I'm, I'm like really coming up. I'm getting all of these shuva downloads, you know, like the, they had the shuva shower, which is just, people showering you with their shuva and then yeah. a shuva bomb. Like I can, like, oh, I love that thing that you're doing. is so awesome. Yeah. You know, oh, brilliant. a spoonful of shuva, right. Before you say something difficult, you know, just give a little shuva first. <laughs> exactly. Which can already help you stop and reflect and think about what's next before you react. Yeah. It helps in so many ways. 
Also, yeah. you mentioned the shuva up, right? So many more junior uh, managers and contributors are still nervous about approaching someone far more senior. They make it about their inner belief system, the beliefs they have in their mind about the person, about the job title, about the hierarchy and so on. But some senior leaders, well, they may also send a few signals that say, hey, I'm the senior leader here. Yeah. And suddenly you shuva up and you focus on the quality of the conversation, on all these beautiful things that you offer to that person in terms of how you listen, how you make them feel in general, feel understood and so on, and appreciated and valued. And suddenly it takes away this piece about the person, the hierarchy, the job title. It makes it all about these wonderful qualities that we want to share with any human being, really. Yeah, so. you know, I, um, I have an exercise I do with teams where I have, <clears throat> actually, everybody I coach, I have them put their name on a sheet of paper and they put their name in the center, like Patty is in the mm -hmm. center of the page. And then I might have eight people that if they're, if I have their shuva and they believe in me, I could do anything. Yeah. You know, who are those eight people that I really need a great relationship with? Mm. And so I write those names around me and then I do a diagnosis. I say, okay, what is the quality of this relationship? And I think of it as a pipe that connects us. I call it a pipe works exercise. So for example, Kathleen, you and I, I had immediately had this green pipe where it just felt so easy to do things with you, just clean and clear relationship. So that's what I call a green pipe. And if it's a difficult relationship, it might be a red pipe. Perhaps we were competed for a job and you got it and I didn't or something. It left some weird relationship between us. That would be a red pipe. And then we have a blue pipe. We just don't know each other very well. You know, maybe you're shyer than I am, et cetera. And so it's a blue pipe. And so have leaders paying attention to what is the quality of their relationship with every single person. And I also have them think through, how can I send more shuva down this pipe? Do I see this person often enough? Do I allow them to share time when we talk? Do I think I get them? If I don't get them, do I let them know? You know, these are examples of questions you can ask yourself to say, how can I send more shuva? Because I can always make up, oh, you know, Joe's on here and he's just a red pipe and it's all about Joe because Joe's terrible. And I'm great, you know? Meanwhile, if I can do anything to improve the quality of that relationship, no matter who Joe is, whether Joe's egocentric or he's whatever might be Joe's problem, I can improve the relationship. I can get better outcomes just by paying attention to the quality of my relationship with Joe. I can't control what Joe does, but I can control how I show up mm -hmm. for Joe. And that exercise has been so incredible in terms of helping leaders really pay attention. Are they sending Shuva to people? Do they withhold Shuva, for example, from their boss because they're afraid they'll look like they're pandering to their boss? Bosses need Shuva. Definitely. They're working their tails off. Yeah. They're taking all the hits. Yeah. You know, they have to make hard decisions. Maybe they didn't make the decision I wish they made, but can I give them Shuva and continue to be their ally for their future decisions? When a team does that for each other, anything's possible. We can work through our red pipes just very simply by paying attention. What is the quality of relationship I have around me and how do I contribute to that quality? Not instead of expecting everybody to give it to me. If I need more shuva, let me ask for it. Mm. If I need more time on your calendar. Let me ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're probably not going to add it to me. Communication is key. Again, we could talk about this topic forever and send each other more shuva here as well. But I want to yeah. ask you two more questions. The first one is, what is the one key inside top tip that you would like to share with the audience? I think I'd like to, you know, finish with this last thing we talked about. Pay attention to the shuva you give to other people. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to the shuva you receive from other people. And if you're not getting the shuva you want, then just make a simple request for more time. Slow it down. You won't get if you uh, don't ask for it. At least give it a go, right? 
but I, I end not but and it is such an important point that you have made in terms of give it give as much shiva as you can regardless the person you give it to where they sit who they are what position they are in everyone needs shiva yeah and it doesn't take more time yeah i can just do it surely by paying attention to the quality of the energy that i provide for a conversation mm. i can sit next to you and give you shiva and not say a word mm. <laughs> just nod my head or if i'm on, in a zoom room i can do a thumbs up i can reinforce your comments it will make all the difference in the world if nothing else it makes a difference in me it's like i'm living in my world more now with shiva than i was before i was asleep to have my life honestly Shiva can give you a life because it gives you that connection. You, what did you said? Human connection. Mm. It's tuning into the quality of the human connection. When you do that, notice how it feels, mm. how it makes you feel, how it makes others feel, what the sensations are again that you notice in your heart, in your body, in your head. That's very, very powerful. What do you notice when you do it? Mm. <laughs> It feels really rewarding. There's the sense of warmth of um, a former colleague of mine would, would have said, I have this warm and fuzzy feeling in my tummy. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I have. It makes mm. me feel close to the person. Like there's a connection, there's a bond. And that can be a person I haven't even known well or for a long period of time. But most importantly, What I find really powerful about it is how calm I feel with myself. And it goes back to what you said before in terms of it doesn't have to take much more time or be a huge, you didn't use the word, but a huge investment and effort. Simply deciding to be, to be really present and to give shiva to this person puts myself into a place of reflection that can be so rare nowadays with all of these stimulations around us. And it, as I said, it makes me feel really calm and like I can be utterly present with the person or the people around me. And mm -hmm. that's hugely beautiful. Yeah. What about yourself? That. Well, you know, I think that um, for a lot of people, sometimes we feel self-conscious, you know, when we're at work and, or you're doing a presentation or on a podcast, you know, so we can often feel self-conscious. And I think that that self-consciousness is paying attention to ourselves and are we good enough and you know, thinking through how we're going to be perceived. And it's just really not a powerful place to be in. Mm. Meanwhile, if I'm thinking about Shuva, I'm thinking about the other people and what they need and what I have to offer and listening to them, enlivening them. So the pressure's off of me in that case. And I just find that that shift can make all the difference in the world mm -hmm. in terms of just satisfaction, ease can kind of take away that anxiety you can have. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the benefits are, I should just write a book about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's only one little principle in this one and this yeah. other book, but, um, but it's that powerful. It really is that powerful. Yeah, it is. The last uh, question is, brush it in. Where can people find you and find all your amazing resources that you actually give away for free? Yeah. So go to leadershipsmarts.com. So leadershipsmarts.com. And that's where you will find, you can download free alignment tools. You can download the first chapter of my book for free. Um, and you can find out about our alignment learning labs that are coming up, which are exciting. We have, we're going to have free webinars where people can, get an overview of alignment, learn the three principles, the four steps and the five C's. Those are going to be coming up in July. So it's a great place to go find some really fun stuff. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for being an incredibly uh, insightful, inspirational and open guest. It's been an absolute joy to listen to you and to hear about everything that you have developed, how you have helped people around you, but also what's to come. The software is going to come. So that's very, very exciting. So exciting. Thank you so, so much. We will obviously launch and post all the links in our show notes as well so that you can find Patty 
yourself, look her up, look the team up and all the exciting things that are to come. You enjoy shoving, if that is a word, yeah, all the people around you. Shove up. <laughs> Shoot up everybody. Shoot up. <laughs> Shoot up everybody. Exactly. Um, enjoy it. Dive into it. And um, don't forget to shuva yourself from time to time as well. Thanks so much for listening and speak to you very soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.